He went to a shit organization. That's not his fault. And he played for a shit organization. Then he got traded to another shit organization. <laughs> or he picked up on another shit. He saw shit. Let's go! Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Execution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Palashati. With me now and always, my boy, Kyle Settle. What is going on, dude? Hey, homie. Dude, so this NCAA uh, name, image, and likeness thing is, is flying across the news. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious. Do you think this is going to lend itself to, to more Devi content? If anybody doesn't know what that is, it's essentially like drafting players that aren't in the nfl yet and it's like a it's like a dynasty league on steroids yeah developmental yeah. league so. Ooh, I, I don't know you and i talk about all the time like the concept of fantasy and how much luck there is involved there's so much more luck when you bring in the debbie factor i'm not a huge fan of it i love scouting guys whenever they're declaring or seniors about to come out whatever and i'll watch college football on saturday but i don't know what my life would become if i had to be drafting these recruits straight out of high school you're you're adding so much variance into a league by making it a Debbie league. And to me, it's just so much luck that's involved with that. Like go back and look at some of these high school recruits, recruits, how many of them were four star recruits and just end up doing nothing. And now they work at a bank for a living. And it's like, I don't want to draft that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, on the NFL side of things, not so much fantasy. Like I was a huge Robert Kendichi guy. Like I saw him play, uh, at the, uh, Under Armour all American game and like coming out of high school, I thought he was a, such a stud. And he kind of flopped in college and still got drafted high because of the the uh, profile, like his athletic profile and his reputation. Big yeah, the kick-ass last Number name. one in the nation. And then he goes to Arizona and it just sucks. Like, it's terrible. And it's like, I feel like that happens more often than we realize. And if you're drafting these players coming out of high school, like, the payoff, if it comes, is so far down the road. Like, it's just hard to get into. I mean, you and I saw in our home league this year, we pushed our rookie draft in our dynasty home league back to, I think, early May. We started right as soon as the NFL draft was over, right? And yeah. we saw so much variance just in the rookie draft that you never seen before because no one has the time to read all the articles post-draft and figure out where the consensus and the expert rankings are and everything like that. So everyone's really just drafting off their own prep. And we saw results all over the board. It was nuts. One of the most crazy rookie drafts that we've ever been a part of. Tons of reaches. And now looking back at it, I'm sure a lot of those picks would be different for a lot of those guys. And that's just moving it back by a couple months. You want to talk about moving it by three to four or five years to Debbie. That's just way too much for me. I can see the appeal, but something kind of creepy about drafting like an 18 year old kid <laughs> yeah you're not wrong <laughs> and like and like praying that he's going to be you know the next adrian peterson it's just kind of i'm just not that invested in young kids you know <laughs> same so what do we have on the docket today man we got some news we got some more rankings coming your way we got consensus tight end rankings and then we're going to close out the show with tight ends that we think that aren't necessarily top 12 guys this year but next year's are locks for top 12 uh, positioning here in our rankings, and we think industry-wide as well. Yes, sir. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. 
Get out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. The Cowboys. They're on hard knocks. Holla, we them boys. Holla, we them boys. Holla, holla, holla. We making noise. Holla. Holla, 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 holla. So we said that this was coming. I mean, it, it was kind of obvious. Yes. I mean, love them or hate them, they're good. They're good content. They're good TV. Jerry Jones, Dak Prescott coming off the injury, Ceedee Lamb. You know, the worst defense in football. It's it's all great. <laughs> it's all it's all great to see unfold in front of our eyes. But uh, I mean, is this just a money grab? You think this was the right choice? I think it's going to be entertaining. I mean, how can it not be? We talked about it last time. They were definitely the most entertaining. I think this is one of the most competitive teams that we're going to get on Hard Knocks that I can remember, at least in the recent past. Like, I don't think anyone's predicting that Dallas is going to be in Super Bowl contention or anything like that, but I don't think anyone would be surprised if this team sneaks into the playoffs in such an even division, especially. If they come out at 10-7, and seven, would that be too much of a stretch when anyone say they're shocked by that? And so to get to watch that team during the hard knocks during training camp. That'd be awesome. And you got so many big personalities on that team with Zeke and Dak, who just got his contract, obviously the receiver room, and then all these new rookies and the whole defensive side of the ball. It's going to be entertaining, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, you said nobody thinks that they're going to be Super Bowl contenders, but I mean, it's still a little early in the offseason. Wait till August rolls around and well, hold on. The annual... No one outside of Dallas Cowboys fans think that they're going to be in Super Bowl contention. Everyone who loves and roots yeah. for Dallas, they're 100% predicting them not to make it, but to win it all. How about them, Cowboys? Yeah! Hey, but every, there's always a few analysts that fall for it every year. The annual, this is the year the Cowboys, you know, get over the hump. Yeah, just completely like the, pandering to the fan base. Yeah, it's just, I don't know if it's just hot take central or if these people actually believe this stuff. But, you know, I'm not one to think that with the defense they have, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders. Either way, it's going to be interesting. Hard Knocks, one of the best shows TV has to offer. One of the best things the NFL's ever put out. Um, and, the, and the Cowboys just kind of fit the bill, you know. Josh Gordon. <laughs> this guy, he applies for reinstatement. I mean... Can we look at Josh Gordon as just, you know, just a guy that is struggling in life and just get over the whole fantasy thing? I, I don't think that he's ever going to come back and be worth anything. I mean, I, I get it. it. It is on the news. It's it's important to mention because some team might give him money and, and you know, money speaks opportunity. But, I mean, Josh Gordon, this guy, is just he's been all over the map for the past five years. You can't rely on him for anything. He's a, he's a more... Um, difficult to understand player than Antonio Brown, which is almost impossible. Yeah. So it's fitting with the theme that I think we've had for the last couple of weeks here in mid to late June and early July. It's all going to be the same. All these low level guys were, we're going to bring up because they made the transaction wire. And if you are one of those teams that's holding out hope for Gordon, that maybe he makes his way onto a roster, finds his way back onto a football field, sell him for anything. I'm selling it for peanuts. A fifth-round pick is not below what I would give up for Josh Gordon or what I would accept for Josh Gordon right now. Smoke weed every day. All right, well, this is interesting. Ryan Ramchek, five-year, $96 million extension. I don't think anybody questions Ryan Ramchek's talent. Um, I just question the salary cap situation. I have no idea how they're making this work uh, between this huge extension, uh, the amount of cap space they didn't have coming into this year and the um, Taysom Hill contract, which is just a head scratcher. It's fake. It's all a fake contract. It's all void <laughs> it's years. Fake. I remember uh, 
a few weeks ago, speaking of our home dynasty league, uh, one of the owners, Dwight, he was, uh, we were having conversations between, because I was the Jameis Winston owner, he was the Taysom Hill owner, and we were having a little back and forth on who we thought was going to be the starter, and that was one of his points, is, oh, look at the massive contract he just signed. He's like, no, that's a fake contract. That's a one-year deal with nine years of fake money being moved around. It's not real. But as far as the Ram check, (laughs) yeah, right? But as far as the Ram check signing, uh, it's good to have some stability in that offense because right now there's so so many question marks in the future of that offense you don't know who the quarterback's going to be a week from now or a year from now or anything like that really Alvin Kamara is the only consistent that you know is going to be a solid contributor on that offense a couple years from now Michael Thomas is starting to get up there in age you don't know who your quarterback's going to be and post Drew Brees it's nice to have that sort of stability and that's what Ramchick can offer you and that five-year extension ensures he's going to be in town for a while. Yeah, I think we made it very clear how we value offensive linemen in general, me and you, uh, when we were talking about Cincinnati taking Jamar Chase over uh, Penny Sewell in the draft. And then, you know, between the Saints having to cut a bunch of guys and restructure contracts, it's I think it's the smartest thing they could do is even in the worst cap situation, you try to lock down your consistent stud players in the offensive line or just in the trenches in general. With the offensive line, it's one of those positions where it's it's maybe the least plug-and-play position in the NFL. Like the continuity and camaraderie and all that that goes on, that's very real. It takes an offensive line really a couple years of playing together before they can really hit their stride as a unit. So when you see all that constant turnover, you're juggling these five positions on the offensive line. For them to go out there and behave as one is one of the hardest things to do on the football field. So any continuity that you can get from an offensive line is usually a positive. Couldn't have said it better myself. Demarius Thomas officially retiring. Demarius Thomas, one of the one of the all time great fantasy assets. Um, the year that the year that Peyton Manning went over to Denver, and we saw just the explosion of offense that I felt like I hadn't seen before that, especially not in fantasy. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you had a bunch of great players between Demarius Thomas, uh, Manuel Sanders, the tight end. Oh, no, uh, uh, the other, the other, uh, Thomas, right? Thomas. Yeah, Thomas Julius, Thomas. Well. Julius, Julius, Julius Thomas, Julius Thomas, Julius Thomas. Um, it was just studs all over that field and it was every game, man. It was so reliable that the connection between him and Peyton Manning, it, in terms of fantasy, it was, it was great. And, uh, his career in general, pretty awesome. Um, you know, he had the sad end of his career that a lot of big time wide receivers have where they end up on the jets or the Raiders or one of these other sad organizations, and uh, you feel like it taints their legacy a little bit. But look back to, to how he was in Denver. Man, he was dominant. Looking back on that team back in, what was it, 2013, somewhere in there? 2015, something like that? I think it was 2013. Yeah, it was, it's 2013 was the year that the offense just went berserk, where Peyton had seven touchdowns week one. That's, that's one of those all-time memories that if you watch that game, I remember it was against Baltimore. I think it was a primetime game. Seven touchdowns week one, and he had like 20 through the first like six weeks of the season, and obviously he had an outstanding season back then. But when I hear Demarius Thomas, the first thing I think of wasn't what happened to him with Peyton Manning as his quarterback. And with that hint, can you guess what it was? Oh, I don't want to fuck this up. What is it? <laughs> it was back in, uh, what was it? I guess it was a couple of years prior when Tim Tebow was tossing him the football and they had the overtime win against Pittsburgh in the playoffs in the divisional round. I remember I'm 99% sure it was Demarius Thomas who caught just a regular in all over the middle of the football field. Cause that's all (laughs) obviously that, uh, 
that Tebow Tebow could throw. throw. (laughs) Yeah, but he took it, and I think it was like the first or second play in overtime, and Thomas just took that little quick quick hitter over the middle and busted it out like 80 yards to the end zone, and they win the game in overtime. That'll always be like the Demarius Thomas highlight in my book. And here we go, first snap of the overtime. The Broncos have been in three overtime games this year. They won them all. Got him. Got him at the 40. It's Thomas at the 50. Stiffer got him free to the 30, to the 20. Thomas to the 10. Denver's going on the New England. They win it on the first play of overtime. Yeah, I remember watching that game. My, my dad's a huge Tim Tebow fan. He loves Tim Tebow. And we were watching the game together. And my dad called it. He's like, he's going to win this game. And I was like, no. Like, he's, he's lucky to even be you know, in overtime with the Steelers. And then lo and behold, hits Demarius Thomas, lets him run away with it. And uh, Broncos win. I think that was in mile high too. That was a home game, I believe. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So are you ready for the verbal Viagra pill? That is, we are 26 days away from training camp opening. This off season is finally trickling along oh don't say that don't say it's finally trickling along you hear the word finally and i think we're on the cusp like we're ready to start tomorrow there's still a long (laughs) three or four weeks left dude the way my life has been going weeks have been flying by so for me three weeks sounds like nothing i mean fingers crossed 26 days and we have some actual news i mean there's going to be some downsides there's going to be some injuries that always sucks but Especially when it's like a fantasy asset and a player on your team. Like if you have a Packer on your team and he goes down, it's just like, oh, oh that's yeah, just I'm, double suck. But tell you what, tell you what my my uh, off season has been and why I'm so ready for this. Even the things like injuries. Obviously, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I've spent all off season listening to all this Aaron Rodgers nonsense. And then in our home league, our league of record. I am a Deshaun Watson dynasty owner, so it's been nothing but speculation minus all the news for me, and it's hitting me on both fronts. I can't be a fan of the Packers without Aaron Rodgers drama. I can't watch my fantasy team without Deshaun Watson drama, which luckily it hasn't been a lot of drama. It's just been a lot of silence, but I don't know if that's better or worse. I am still on the same front that I've been on the same offseason. It looks like it's going to hold true. I fully expect Rodgers to be back in green and yellow by the time week one rolls around. Yeah, I'm going to stay consistent with that. I, I think the same thing. I, I, I can't see him playing for another team in 2021, uh, maybe in 2022, but I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk some more about that. Oh, yeah. But now it is time. We're going on to our consensus. Top 12 dynasty tight ends. Number one. Coming in at number one in our rankings, probably not a surprise to most of you, George Kittle. I'm a little bit lower than you are, Kyle, but you have him at number one, so let's hear it. Everyone knows that there's a top three or four, depending on your format, depending how you look at it, tight ends that are almost interchangeable, but I've got Kittle at number one, and I've got a few reasons for that. Uh, First off, he's still young. He's only 27 years old. He won't be 28 till about halfway through the season. And he still looks to be the number one in the offense. Obviously, he's coming off the injury where he only played eight games last year. But I've got some numbers for you. In those eight games, he was still on pace for 96 catches, 1,268 yards, and four touchdowns, which would have been the tight end three on the season. Of those eight games, though, only five of those did he play start for finish. He left the one game early in the season, and then late in the year when he tried to come back maybe a little too early, he played a couple of games that he only played about half of. So if you want to extrapolate the five healthy games that he had, he was on pace for 112 catches, 1,392 yards, and six touchdowns. And that still, in spite of the great season, would have put him at just the tight end, too. Still wouldn't have beat out Kelsey, which sort of just speaks to the season he had. 
He has averaged over 2.82 yards per route run every season since becoming the starter. We just talked about how great Travis Kelsey is, and we're going to talk about it more in a minute. Travis Kelsey's career high is 2.49. He's never had as high yards per route run as Kittle. He's a complete tight end. He does it all. He never comes off the field when he's not injured. And there's no reason to think that doesn't continue for at least another three years. And we've talked about it before. Our philosophy in Dynasty is you don't want to try to predict any further in the future than that. And three years from now, Kittle is going to be about 30 years old, which still puts him younger than where Kelsey is right now. The other concern you may have is going to be the changing offense. Obviously, a couple years ago, they added Debo to the offense. Brandon Ayuk comes in last year, and now Trey Lance is looking at taking over that offense, most likely at some point this season. So what kind of a quarterback Trey Lance will be will ultimately, I think, decide where Kittle falls in this top tier, whether you want to put him anywhere from tight end one to tight end three or four. But as far as Ayuk and Samuel, I still think, and I have numbers to back it up, that Kittle is the number one in this offense. They were only able to play four games together last season because of the injuries to Kittle. Obviously, Debo's always hurt, and Ayuk missed a couple games himself. But when all four of them were healthy, or all three of them rather were healthy and on the field, you got four games in. Kittle led every single week of those four weeks in targets, and in three of the four weeks, he led in both fantasy points and total yards. So he was still the number one target last season, even when all these guys were out on the field. Where I've got it, I think he's the perfect combination of talent, situation, and age. Everyone we talk about after that seems to be missing one or two of those prongs. So I still got George Kittle as my number one. So in order for me to have George Kittle lower than you do, and and specifically at number three in my rankings, it's more about the other players than it is about George Kittle. I like George Kittle's talent a lot. I think he's a tremendous tight end. What I look at that kind of scares me is San Francisco's offense in general. I don't think that they need George Kittle to produce through the air for them to be successful, and I think they know that. I think if it's a low-volume offense and they can run the ball effectively against almost anybody. And they also have Ayuk and Samuel, and when healthy, I mean, Ayuk's coming in his next year. Samuel, when healthy, we know how dynamic he is with the ball in his hand. There could be games that are Samuel games or Ayuk games where they're getting more of the volume than we're typically used to. Kind of like how you see New England, some games they'll be the, they'll lead the league in rushing yards. The next week, they'll lead the league in passing yards. You know, they're just kind of good coaches know how to attack teams differently, and they're unpredictable. And George Kittle is as good of a blocker as any tight end in football that you don't feel like you're wasting him if you're using him as a blocker primarily on a given week. You know, he doesn't need to be a a high-volume pass catcher for him to be a great asset on the San Francisco 49ers. And their coaches obviously don't care about fantasy. They don't care about stats. They want to win games. So I think there could be some some games where George Kittle disappears and it's not for the lack of talent or anything like that. It's just the game plan was developed to use him as more of an asset in the running game as opposed to a receiver. He's definitely in the most crowded situation of all the guys we're going to talk about in this top tier. I think the next couple guys we're going to talk about sort of have the lead role all to themselves as far as target share and everything like that. So it's definitely a fair concern wondering about the situation. And we haven't even mentioned that, except for rather briefly, that this offense could be completely different as soon as Trey Lance gets under center too. He, he could take over <laughs> and he could just be one of those guys who doesn't target his tight ends. It's in the realm of possibility. We don't really know yet. So until that happens, it is a little bit of a dart throw in that spot for sure.
Yeah, I mean, and what if he just sucks? You know, what if, what if Trey Lance is garbage? It's well, totally. I, I wouldn't give chance. you that one because I've seen George Kittle because be Jimmy great G with sucks. terrible quarterbacks. <laughs> well, yeah, Jimmy G's not great himself, but even he misses half the season, and they're on either their second or third string. I mean, if Nick Mullins can make George Kittle fantasy relevant, I'm sure Trey Lance will do just fine. Oh, Nick Mullins, the uh, QB three in Philadelphia. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Congrats Nick Mullins on that. behind. How, how behind did that miss Flacco. our news segment? Oh gosh, we're slipping. <laughs> oh Jesus. Number two. All right. Number two, we have Travis Kelsey, the aforementioned Travis Kelsey. So I want to take the lead on Travis Kelsey here because I think people are, uh, it seems like the consensus to have him out of your number one spot in your rankings. I mean, all services seem to have him outside of their number one spot in Dynasty. And I think we're being a little premature. Like you mentioned, we don't like to predict more than two, three years down the line. And Travis Kelsey between what he's done the past what, two, three years, I think he's broken an NFL record for receiving yards twice in that span. Yeah. Uh, one one that got broken by Kittle, and then Kelsey broke it right after it. And then he again broke his own record in 2020. It's just, it's insane. Um, but his dominance and his streak of dominance has shown no signs of slowing down. So you may be thinking to yourself, well, he's 31 years old. He'll be turning 32 here soon. But... I don't think that a guy of his talent and what we've seen from him in the past 12, 18 months will give you any reason to suspect a down year in 2021 or even 2022. And we cannot forget, we cannot undervalue the trump card that he has, which is catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of these Hall of Fame tight ends that you can compare Travis Kelsey to, none of them had a quarterback the level of Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball. So even if his talent starts to fade slightly over the next year or two he still has fantastic targets coming from one of the best if not the best quarterback in the nfl in an offense that's schemed up extremely well for his talents by andy Reid, and his his health has been you know something to rely on as well he hasn't missed many games in his career he played 15 plus games in every season other than his rookie year in 2013 so the age i get it it's a concern i'm not willing to quit on travis kelsey being the tight end one that quarterback thing is a good point. It, as soon as you said that, I looked at the rest of our list of guys that we're going to be talking about, and I looked at each one of their quarterback situations. And for every single tight end that we're going to talk about today, I would say probably most of them are expected to have different quarterbacks in the next two or three years. All of them in very uh, uneasy situations, I guess, as far as who's going to be throwing them the football in a couple years. And as we go through the list, we'll just sort of bring it up. But whether it's age or just question marks from a bad quarterback, no one has the situation that Travis Kelsey has. No one no one even has a situation that I would call above average for the next few years. Some guys are playing with Hall of Fame or Pro Bowl level talents right now, but those guys are at the tail end of their career. Speaking about tail end of their career and Travis Kelsey, he's had an outstanding career. You outlined all the major points. Okay. This season, there's a good chance that he's going to move into the top five all-time for tight end receiving yards. He's just 802 yards away, so even an okay season by Kelsey standards is going to shatter that record. If he does break into that top five, he's going to have four guys ahead of him, and all four of these guys, Hall of Fame names, Tony Gonzalez, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, and Shannon Sharp. And I have some numbers to back up why I think the inevitable decline of Travis Kelsey is going to come sooner than later. You can't compare him to a normal tight end. He's not normal. I mean, he's... Hall of Fame level talent, just like the guys I just named. You can compare him, in my opinion, to those other Hall of Fame type guys. So I'm going to take him and I'm going to compare him to the guys I just named, Gonzalez, Witten, Gates, and Sharp. Those four players, 
top four players all time in receiving yards at the tight end position, played a combined 23 seasons at age 32 or older between the four of them. In 22 of those 23 seasons, they did not break 1,000 yards receiving. And if you have a tight end that you're drafting in the first round to redraft, and if you want to take him as a top one, top two tight end in Dynasty, and he's not putting up a 1,000-yard season, you just wasted an early draft pick. Because even in Dynasty right now, I can't imagine you're getting him much outside the second round, maybe the third round if you're in a league that is severely giving you a discount because of his age. But the numbers that came before him, the Gonzaleses, the Wittens, the Gates, the Sharps, all these greats that came before him, they all fell off after age 32. And as you mentioned, he's turning 32 about halfway through the season. One last thing before I come off as just a massive Travis Kelsey hater, because I'm not. The guy's amazing. He outscored the tight end three in regular PPR scoring last year by 136.2 points. He scored 312.8 fantasy points. The tight end three, Robert Tunyon, scored 176.6. He demolished his competition. It was not close. And 174 of Robert Tunyon's points came in one game. All off of touchdowns. Whatever. (laughs) So I got to push back on the comparison to these other Hall of Fame tight ends. Not that it's unwarranted, but we have to look at the changes in the NFL and the situational differences between – Kelsey and all these other studs. So, you know, we have 17 games coming up. He's been healthy for a long time. Having a healthy tight end over a 17-game season, you know, that in itself is worth uh, some investment. Not only that, but the offense that he plays in, the way the NFL is structured now where it it lends to higher scoring, uh, more effective offenses, I think Travis Kelsey – can't be 100%, you know, one for one compared to these older guys. I mean, Jason Witten is the most recent of the list, but even his past, you know, his last like four seasons where you can almost toss him out because he either wasn't healthy, uh, was way past his prime, and much older than 31, which Kelsey is coming into the season. We're, we're going to see it, especially, like you said, moving forward as we get to 17 and inevitably 18 games. We're going to see records like this being broken every single year as far as these counting stats and career stats. But I don't want to discount the offenses that these guys were playing in. I mean, Tony Gonzalez got to play a lot of his career under a very young Matt Ryan. Not a lot of his career, the tail end of his career anyway. Witten got Romo, who is not probably not a Hall of Fame talent, but definitely in the Hall of Very Good in my book. And then you had Antonio Gates, who had Phillip Rivers, sort of the same level as Romo. And then Shannon Sharp, who obviously played for one of the best of all time with Elway. So all of these guys were in great offenses, at least very good offenses for the majority of their career. So I don't want to discount it and pretend like we're looking back to the 1950s or 60s where we're playing with leather helmets or anything. Like a couple of these guys were in the NFL still this decade. I think Sharp is the only one who hasn't who wasn't playing in 2010-ish. I think that's around when Tony Gonzalez retired somewhere in that ballpark. And then you obviously you had Witten was still playing last year and Gates went just a couple years ago. So although it is removed and I'll say that's a fair point, it's going to be impossible to compare players era over era like that. So it's not incredibly predictive to say that, hey, this is how these guys had a career. So this is how it's going to go for Kelsey. You can't be you can't be the one to predict that. But if it happened to all these guys at age 32 for the best of all time, why would I think Travis Kelsey's not going to make it? maybe another year or two before the wheels fall off. Like it's, it's coming and I don't want to be the one caught with them when it happens. Sure. You can say that about so many players different. in the NFL, Pull up to the scene with my but I'm, if you want one tight end on a dynasty team, I just can't, I can't take Kelsey over 
at least a couple of the other guys that we're going to talk about, knowing that three years from now, I'm not going to have a difference maker tight end. And I'll go ahead and put whatever you want on that. Three years from now, when Travis Kelsey's 34 going on his 35-year-old season, I'm not going to say he's not going to be in the league, but he's going to be like we saw Greg Olson last year, Delaney Walker a couple years ago, where he's maybe one of those low-end tight end ones, high-end tight end twos. I think that day is coming sooner than later. Number three. Well, let's talk about one of those tight ends that I think you'd rather have oh, over yeah. Travis Kelsey, which which is crazy to me. This one, I think you really need to, uh, you know, take a sip of water, get those vocal <laughs> cords ready, because I want to hear how you think rookie tight end Kyle Pitts is worth a better investment than Travis Kelsey right now. I get it if you're if you're kind of a, a win later team, um, but if you're like going for to win this season. Is there any reason to take Kyle Pitts over Travis Kelsey? Yeah, that's it's so much a philosophy of just are you trying to win now or are you trying to play the long game? And for the record, I'm not going anywhere near Kyle Pitts in redraft. I want to say he's like a fifth round pick right now in redraft, which is just it's insane. Uh, Heath Cummings over at CBS, he put it in a great way. Is you're expecting Kyle Pitts where you're drafting him right now in the fifth round? You're drafting him to have the best tight end season by any rookie all time to match his ADP. So you're not getting a good return on investment by doing so, because even if he does shatter all those records, he's just living up to his ADP. There's really not a scenario in which he outperforms his ADP in redraft right now. Now, Dynasty, different conversation. Obviously, we know the Julio Jones trade just happened, so that clears up a lot of targets in Atlanta. Hayden Hurst, I'm not really worried about him stealing too many snaps a year from now. Maybe, I mean, rookie blues, it might take him a second before he's commanding 80, 90% of snaps. But I do want to do one thing real quick. First off, he's 20 years old. He'll be 21 midway through the season. This guy could take three or four years to break out, and you're still coming out with a 23, 24-year-old prospect at tight end who's going to be anchoring your team for the next five to 10 years. As far as comparisons go, it's really hard to find one because everyone tells you that he's the best tight end prospect ever. And I don't think many people are shy about saying that. If you go on playerprofile.com, it's going to compare him to Noah Fant. But even that isn't doing him a big service. The comparison that I would give you is a very familiar name, and that's Megatron, Mr. Calvin Johnson. Let me read off a few of these measurables that both Pitts and Johnson Oh, did you not see that in the show sheet? (laughs) I don't want to hear this. Was this a surprise? Quit the show. All right, so Kyle Pitts. 6'6", 245, 33 and a half inch arm span. Calvin Johnson, 6'5", 236, 33 and 3 eighths inch arm span. Both of them have a breakout age at 19 years old. Now, obviously, Calvin Johnson put up way bigger numbers in college since uh, obviously he's playing a different position. Pitts, as we know, is the kind of prospect who's going to play out wide a lot more than he is in line. But that's going to do nothing but help his fantasy value. And really, the only question you need to ask yourself, I think, as far as where you're going to rank Pitts is... What are you looking for out of your tight end position? Do you want to just plug and play? Because even if Pitts doesn't come through and have the best tight end season of all time, he's someone who you can draft right now in Dynasty and then ignore the tight end position completely for at least the next five years. I mean, maybe there, I mean, there's a chance he falls on his face and he's not as good as everyone thought. But what is his floor? Because everyone talks about his ceiling. They're enamored with his ceiling. But what is his floor really? At worst, I think you're getting a slow start this year, and then you're getting maybe, what, a mid to low end tight end one at his floor moving forward. And to be able to just completely ignore the tight end position for the next five to 10 years, I think that's a gamble that I'm taking every single time over someone like Kelsey, where, yeah, I may get a great season this year if he comes back and repeats what he just did, but I have to address the tight end position again sometime soon. 
my big hang-up with Kyle Pitts, and, and I'll take everything you said as you know solid points because I think they were everything You'll besides take it as gospel. Everything besides the Calvin Johnson comparison, which made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Everything else you said, I'm on board with. But hey, were the measurables not spot on? I'm not saying he's going to be Calvin Johnson. Yeah, the, the, the measurables, measurables are right close. There. I mean, I'm built like uh, I don't know the best the best power lifter in the world. Doesn't mean I could pick up you know 600 pounds. Boston Scott. <laughs> I'm gonna it's, I'm gonna you know compare I mean? like, you against Boston Scott real quick and see how that looks. It's probably fairly similar, honestly. But his 40 times is probably so much better than mine. <laughs> but let me talk about what's important here. Kyle Pitts. Everything you said, great. Good to go. Let's just imagine that that you know you're 100% right with everything you say. The one thing we don't know about Kyle Pitts is how smart he is and his work ethic. And this may sound anecdotal, but tight end is the hardest position to translate to in the NFL besides, I'd say, quarterback. Everything about tight end coming into the league is it, – I mean, imagine it. It'd be overwhelming for almost anybody. You have to learn a whole new blocking scheme. You need to learn to run every single route – and especially Kyle Pitts playing from the slot. He's going to be playing in line. He's going to be playing um, as like an H-back type. He's going to be all over the field. That's a lot of responsibility to put on a kid that young. And Do you think they're going to move him into the backfield? I don't think he's going to be in line very I much think, with Hurst there. I think Hurst is going to be moving into that H-back position. He's going to be more their number two slash slot. Maybe, receiver. but how long is Hurst going to be in Atlanta? I think with their head coach, the way he likes to run his offense, very dynamic, very uh, multiple that he's going to want to take Kyle Pitts and use him every possible way he can, uh, like a smart head coach would. But Kyle Pitts has to has to pay that bill. He has to come in and be the guy that he looks like on paper. And trying to guarantee that, it's just it's impossible to me. It's, it's hard for me to be confident in it because we've seen it fail over and over again at the tight end position. Think about all the great tight end prospects that came in the league and how disappointed we were. I mean – the draft with O.J. Howard, who everybody thought was the best physical freak that came into the draft as a, as a tight end in, in recent memory. Nothing. We got nothing out of O.J. Howard. He's almost unstartable. I mean, I wouldn't mind people dropping him in Dynasty. Unrelated, but don't give up on O.J. Howard. Just okay. <laughs> well, you can take it from me. Give up on O.J. Howard. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a big difference, though. Like, you want to compare him to O.J. Howard just because of the physicality. I get that. But Howard was nowhere near the prospect that we're getting out of Kyle Pitts. He went, what, mid-late first round, uh, 119 overall. That's a lot different than 104. I mean, you're talking about a top five pick using a tight end. Obviously, the highest that any tight end has ever been drafted in the NFL draft. You want, all right, you're going to give Travis Kelsey the benefit of the doubt. Give him three, four more years of dominance because he's built difference, but you're not going to give it to Kyle Pitt right now. I'm giving it to it's, Travis Kelsey on. because he's a first ballot Hall of Famer and he's never shown us anything else. Kyle Pitts hasn't shown us anything at all. And we've seen people fail coming into the league at tight end a million times. I, I mentioned OJ Howard. What about Evan Ingram? Bum. What about uh, hey, – Stop naming all name of my dynasty tight ends Browns. right now. <laughs> what about a uh, guy who got drafted by the Browns? Killing me. Same draft. Oh, David and Joku. David and Joku. Three huge flops at that position. And then you look at more recent. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. I'm higher on them, I think, than, than a lot of people. But Are you declaring them busts already? No, no. But they haven't paid off. Uh, if you're drafting them early in Dynasty, yet. I mean, we've only had two seasons, but it hasn't happened yet. So we know they take a, a while to fire. We know it's a it's a high bust rate position. And Kyle Pitts' athleticism, I think, does curb some of the concern there. But 
it's not out of the question that he's just not good. He just cannot translate. And is, coming from, do you really think that's actually a possibility that he's just I, awful? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I do. Especially coming from Florida, because Florida. If, <laughs> All right. <laughs> listen, no, no. Florida it's two is shows in a row that you give it to the state of Florida. Let's hear it. <laughs> Florida is notorious for taking athletes, letting them play ball, literally just letting them play, and then they come into the league with minimal technique, uh, not much of football IQ, and it, they they have a longer learning curves than a lot of guys that come into the league it's it's been primarily with the receivers and their uh defensive backs but who's to say that isn't the same with Kyle Pitts all that being said I think he's gonna be good I do I honestly he's gonna be a good player but I think there's too much risk involved to have him this high in the rankings um I taking him over Darren Waller I, I you know can never be me because I, I can't imagine Kyle Pitts getting the same volume that Darren Waller gets. And let's just take this into down Darren Waller, our next ranked tight end. Number four. I've been talking for what feels like 20 minutes trying to disparage the hype around Kyle Pitts, but give me your, uh, give me your Waller takes. I mean, I, I don't think he's very controversial. I have him at number two. Why, why don't you have him as high as I do? You're going to wait because I need to defend the state of Florida. And specifically, <sighs> I'm going to bring up the 08 Gators. Do you remember how dominant that team was? <laughs> How many future yes. NFL players there were? Obviously, you had Tebow under center, but my God, you had Percy Harvin. You had the Pouncey Twins on the offensive line. The cornerbacks, Janoris Jenkins and Joe Hayden, two future NFL Pro Bowlers. Brandon Spikes in the middle, Carlos Dunlap on the edge. My gosh, that team was loaded. Hey, Florida. You also had, uh, I mean, I didn't a, say it. There was a... I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, what is it? It's 2021. It's too soon. We don't talk about sharing her. <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> you had a murderer and a <laughs> you right. had a racist riley cooper <laughs> moving on God, what a darren show. waller Urban Meyer is a great coach darren waller all right so darren is uh sort of the split as far as age and talent i would say if you want to take pitts out of the equation because obviously we, like you said we haven't seen anything from him and compare waller to uh, his co-workers in Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And compare the three of them. I would say that Waller obviously lies between them as, as far as age goes. He's 28 years old, going to be 29 early in the season. And as far as talent goes, he's probably dead last. But opportunity-wise, he's number one. And that includes Travis Kelsey, who just set the career marks in the NFL, uh, broken records for receiving and everything like that. So Darren Waller, last season, in the season that Kelsey outshined everyone, breaking records and everything, Waller, who finished as the tight end two, quietly had the third most fantasy points since 2013 by a tight end. He's had 90 catches and 1,100 or more yards in both seasons with the Raiders since converting over. Remember, this guy was a wide receiver in Baltimore back in the day. I still remember my old Madden drafts where his speed was like a 97. So I always took him in the late rounds, even though he was like a 69 overall or something. So those fantasy teams or those uh, Madden teams are going to be playing paying off any day now. But he's had an yeah. outstanding target we share. We all know how you are, Madden. <laughs> I hate Madden. Anyway, so he has had a an outstanding target share since he's been in Oakland and now Vegas. 26%. That is obviously near the top for tight ends, but even a wide receivers, that's a really good number one target share. The Raiders themselves as an organization for the top uh, three seasons 
have been top three in tight end target share. This is a team whose philosophy with Gruden is going to be and continue to be to feed the tight ends. As far as his wide receivers, you bring in John Brown this offseason. John Brown's not a volume guy, never has been. So even if he steals a couple of deep plays, I don't know how much that really affects Waller. And then you have the two sophomore players in Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. And barring a massive leap by one of them, this is going to be another season where Darren Waller is going to get 130, 140 targets and somewhere near 100 catches, which is good if we're talking about any position, but at a tight end, it puts him in that upper tier, which is why we have him right here in our top, what, four now. And I think the only discount that you're getting from him, the reason I have him four below the other guys we've seen is just because he's not as gifted a playmaker as the other three guys. I think all three of the guys that I put ahead of him are much better football players. Waller's situation is what keeps him afloat. And I'd much rather bet on the talent of a tight end than bet on the situation that they're in. That being said, I still have him in number four. I still have him in tier one. If you have him, you're glad you do. But the reason that I have him lower than the rest is just that. Okay. Well, having him at number four, I think is silly because he is the safest, in my opinion, the safest tight end here in the guys we've talked about so far. And, you know, he finished the tight end two last year. And if you if you know, let's say I'm wrong about George Kittle and he's a stud, I still don't think he's going to get the volume. He is a stud, but let's say I'm wrong about him and he gets more volume and he's more of a uh, primary option in San Francisco than I think he'll be. I still don't know he'll get as much volume and opportunity as Darren Waller. Let's say I'm wrong about Travis Kelsey and he starts to fade off. I think Darren Waller jumps him easily. Let's say I'm wrong about Kyle Pitts and he has a great rookie year. I still don't think there's a shot he outproduces Darren Waller in year one and probably not in year two either. Now, I honestly think he's the safest tight end that we've talked about so far. He's still at a good age for dynasty, especially at the tight end position. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of work uh, in his career. He hasn't played a ton of games in his career. So, you know, maybe he's a little young than, younger than his age will uh, make you think at age 28, almost 29. Also, Look at, I mean, between him getting the contract and the other assets on the Raiders, he is the by default focal point of that offense. Nobody has really proven themselves outside of him. And the Raiders don't seem to be ready to just, you know, run their offense around Josh Jacobs. I mean, they're spending $11 million to bring in another running yeah. back. And Kenyon so, Drake. Yeah, and Kenyon Drake. So I think Darren Waller is the safest. I think he is, is he's a lock for for top three tight end this year. Uh, I think he could be tight end one. I think he has that ability and I think he has that opportunity in front of him. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the tight end one in dynasty next year. And uh, even in 2023 as well. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with your floor assessment. I don't think he's going to be valued as the number one tight end at any given point. I think that's probably either going to go to Kittle or Pitts once Kelsey hands it over just because those guys are the playmakers. But as far as the floor goes, I mean, you can't take anything away from that guy has an outstanding floor. He's a shoe in for 80, 90 plus catches and 1100 yards every season. So he's, I, I won't argue with it. If anyone wants to put him up there at number one, it's just for me, I put him in number four, but they're all there in the same tier. If you got one of these four guys that we've talked about in dynasty, you're a happy camper. One of these three guys, Kyle Pitts oh is God. not Kyle in that Pitts tier. Is in that group. He is not in that tier. I can't move. You're wrong. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I'll bet you he's not a top 12 tight end, but it takes like, you know, one good week to become a top 12 tight end. So I'm not, 
I don't have the balls to make that take. And that, and I, like I said, I'm not high on him this year. I, I Gosh, I encourage you. I, I don't know how this conversation shifted back to Kyle Pitts, but I would highly encourage you. You can't buy Pitts in Dynasty right now unless you oh. sell the house. Whoever got Pitts is holding on to him. But if, if he does come out there and for whatever reason he just kind of falls on his face, send an offer to the Pitts owner. See if you can get him a little bit cheaper than you can today because he's not helping you very much right now unless you just do not have any other option at tight end. I don't really – care to have pits on my team for 2021 so if you're thinking about making an offer pocket it for a year there's a very small chance that he goes out there and he's he puts up a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns as a rookie which is probably the only way that his value stays the same or increases so if you're thinking about making an offer just, just hold on to it for yeah. a year. see where he's at and it's the old uh cliche that you know you draft tight ends for whatever team's going to pay him a second contract because they take is that a cliche? I've never heard that in my Maybe life. Maybe not a cliche, but it's a common thing people bring up when tight ends get drafted because they take a while to develop. It's such a huge jump from college to NFL. So if you don't see enough in the first contract, say the first four years, the guys on your team to be willing to pay him top 10 money, somebody else will. I don't know. I don't think Atlanta knows what they're doing. Um, I do believe in their head coach, but in general, I just... I don't know. I can't buy in on him this high. That, that opens up so many questions for me, but I'm not going to get into it. Oh, yeah, we'd be here for 45 minutes talking about Kyle Pitts. Number five. Speaking of moving on, Mark Andrews, our number five dynasty tight end. Me and you are, are pretty, you know, much the same. We have them both at six. You and I. You and I are pretty much the same. We haven't ranked at the same spot. He's 25 years old. He's going to be 26 early in the season. And the big narrative around Mark Andrews is that his production fell quite a bit from 2019 to 2020. And uh, between that and the influx of talent brought in, do you think Mark Andrews is is a lock to even be a top six tight end in 2021 or valued that way You know, by the end of 2021 in Dynasty? No, I don't. Yeah, this is the first guy that we're going to talk about that has legitimate question marks and you foreshadowed them. Uh, in 2018, Lamar Jackson's first real season as a first full season rather as a starter, it was a very tight end heavy offense. They earned 180 targets, whereas wide receivers in that 2019 Ravens offense only scored 182 targets. So that's a 43% target share that was going to the tight ends. In 2020, we saw that number drop off a cliff. The tight ends got only 110 targets, and the wide receivers got double that at 220. On top of that, you have the offseason additions of Sammy Watkins and free agency and then Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace in the draft. And it sort of tells you what I think Baltimore's philosophy is going into 2021. And now you can't predict anything, but everything that Baltimore's done so far makes me think that this wants to be a more conventional offense than we than they've been before. Not conventional to the point that Lamar Jack, Jackson's going to suddenly be a pocket passer or anything like that, but all the training camp reports or OTA reports were all about, hey, he's improving as a downfield passer. His pocket presence is getting better. They're working the outside more. All these things that Baltimore hasn't been doing for the last two years. And they're also all the reasons that Mark Andrews has been so effective. So if the offense does make that change and some of these other mouths start to get fed on the outside of the field, then Lamar Jackson is going to be the one who really suffers from that. His age is not a concern. His production's been solid, 550 or more yards in each of his first three seasons. You saw Mark Andrews lose receptions, targets, yards, and touchdowns from 2019 to 2020. If this trend continues, then we may not be talking about him as a top 5'10", and we may not be talking about him as a top 10 tight end next year. So I'm definitely worried 
all these things could be put to rest and he could come out there and have another solid season and you know we could sort of just check it at the door but i think these are very valid concerns to have about him right now yeah i don't think it's talked about enough that the concerns of mark andrews and you laid it out beautifully and i couldn't agree more uh, we could put a button on this one quickly because i really don't have anything to add after after the way you laid it out all i'll say is you know, bringing in a guy like Rashad Bateman, I love Rashad Bateman. Um, like I said earlier, he's like a five-tool wide receiver. He brings a lot of different traits to the table. And when a guy like that comes in, he demands targets. And when he demands those targets, he takes away from guys that are that are more of the specialists, like the Hollywood Brown deep threats, the middle-of-the-field targets like Mark Andrews. So I don't know if that trend is going to continue, but I don't think he's getting back to the 2019 form that we saw uh, down there in Baltimore. What does it take to move him right now? What's it take to move him? Yeah. If, if you uh, and I are both coming in on the pro, uh, a lot of question mark side, then what are you taking to get rid of him? It's tough because the tight end market is so barren. Um, I mean, you can convince somebody that, that you know, a, uh, a Blake Jarwin or an Adam Troutman or, you know, one of these other Irv Smith, one of these sleeper-ish tight ends are, are going to be um, great. And if you can do that, maybe you can uh, – Maybe you're okay moving Mark Andrews, but I just don't have faith in sleeper tight ends ever hitting. We've seen a ton of guys flop. So if you have a guy that has a defined role and he has an established um, role on an offense, you know he's going to be there for a while. He is. Um, he's shown a ton of production in the past. I think you just keep him and hope for the best because I don't know you're going to get a first-round pick. And is he worth a second-round pick? I mean, maybe. But what do you – like? I just don't, I so just don't if you it. had to put it in the camp right now, buy, sell, hold, in spite of all the question marks, where do you put it? Hold. Hold for sure. He's a hold. Uh, I think you yeah. got to hold him also. Yeah, I don't think you're getting much for him if you sell him. And uh, if you're not buying enough. him. I think you could get plenty, but not enough that I'd be willing to part, I think. Yeah, and, and if we're talking about holding him, then chances are whoever owns him in your league is, also thinks that they should just hold him and wait. So if you're trying to buy him, you're going to have to overpay, especially in Dynasty. I mean, Dynasty owners are very, uh, very stubborn, you know, to get rid of it's guys. It's the Ikea effect. Production. It's even more, like we talked about last time, something you build yourself will inherently hold more value to you. Now you talk about Dynasty where you're holding these guys after you draft them for three or four years. It's like watching your kids grow up in front of your face and you're not going to trade them some yeah. of the time. And it's easy to look at Mark Andrews with rose-colored goggles, you know, looking at uh, 2019 stats and thinking he's going to get back to it. So, yeah, he's a hold. I think we agree on that one. Number six. All right, TJ Hawkinson comes in at tight end six. TJ Hawkinson, only 24 years old as of tomorrow, actually. So 23 for another day. 24 years old tomorrow. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, TJ Hawkinson. He is probably the most talented pass catcher on his team. And I don't think that's, you know, a hot take or anything. But when, when you're a tight end and you're the most talented target on an offense, you're Darren Waller. You're going to get a ton of volume. And I think that TJ Hawkinson is in line for Darren Waller type volume. Now, is he going to succeed as well as Darren Waller has with that volume? I don't think so because I think the offense in general is going to be worse. Uh, the quarterbacking, I also believe, is going to be worse. And uh, we don't know if, you know, with a new head coach and a new system coming in, if he's going to be able to pick it up and uh, run with it in 2021 like he had, you know, in 2020. So he has his concerns, but I think what he has is what we always look for in football, uh, in fantasy football, excuse me, and that's volume. 
volume trumps everything. DJ Hawkinson has volume. He's young. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if the situation can get much worse than it is in 2021. So maybe even if you're not getting great production this year, 2022, when the Lions bring in a rookie quarterback, um, they also bring some other talent around him. Maybe you get better production in 2022. And you can see that that stock continue to rise as he ages only at 24 now. Yeah, I'm definitely in the pro TJ Hawkinson camp. The last few weeks, you've seen a lot of divisiveness in the fantasy community about TJ Hawkinson. I think a lot of people over-exaggerated the differences that he's going to have in the offense. And most of this is going to sound familiar. Obviously, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, both out the door and on their way to different teams. They've vacated 313 targets being the Detroit Lions this last offseason. That leads the NFL. So you've got a lot of open targets now with those two guys leaving the team and then a bunch of smaller role players too, like your Danny Amendola's, Mohamed Sanu's, and Adrian Peterson out of the backfield. A few targets here and there. So as far as what to expect from Hawkinson this year, if he continues on the pace that he's been at, his rookie year to his sophomore year, he virtually doubled his receptions, targets, and yards, and then tripled the amount of tight end scoring. So if he continues along that trajectory, this is a guy who we might be talking about in that tier one conversation if everything comes true. Like I know a lot of people are sort of predicting right now. Me, I'd say I'm sort of in between. I still expect him to be a second tier tight end a year from now, which is probably where we'd put him right now. If he has that breakout season, what it costs to acquire him right now, which I think you could get it done with a late first or just a solid starter in any other position, I think that gets you Hawkinson. But if you see him make that jump going into his 25-year-old season, you may be looking at him the same way that we looked at a George Kittle after he made that breakout, a Darren Waller after he made that full transition to tight end. And would I give up that first to get him? I think if I'm a contender and it's a late first and I feel like I'm a tight end away and I want to push my chips all in on someone, this is a good target for me. All right, I'm not going to sit out there and condone the move and say you absolutely need to go trade everything to get TJ Hawkinson, but if I'm that contender who feels like he's one move away, I, I think Andrews has too many question marks. I think everyone we talked about before Andrews is going to cost way more than that. So I think Hawkinson's a good target. If I'm the TJ Hawkinson owner, I'm probably taking a first for him, depending on my situation as a team. But if I've got someone else who can fill the void, I think a first gets it done on either side. So you being the Kyle Pitts fanboy and also, you know, having a glowing review about TJ Hawkinson, how how distant are they in value in your opinion? The, the TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts tier for me, and I think they're in their own tier, those two. I think T.J. Hawkinson edges him out. Obviously, I think that you believe Kyle Pitts edges T.J. Hawkinson out. But how big is that gap for you? So first of all, I'm with the consensus putting Kyle Pitts in Tier 1. You are the hater in this situation, so own that. As far as the difference between the two, he's a more uh, sorry. T.J. Hawkinson is a more complete player than Kyle Pitts, but Kyle Pitts is going to be a fantasy special. He's going to be the guy who goes out there and loads up the stat sheet. Hawkinson's always going to be a better football player than he is a fantasy player. And because of that, I think the gap is pretty wide. They're only, what, two years apart in age, and TJ Hawkinson's They're shown us. They're four years apart in age. Kyle Pitts Even is 20 they, years old. Kyle Pitts is only 20 years old, and Hawkinson came, Hawkinson came out at 22, but Pitts is only 20. So that's what I mean. We could be talking about Pitts four years from now in the same light that we're talking about a TJ Hawkinson right now, where we're giving them, the, yeah, it's still early. He still has a. a big bright future in front of him we could be talking about kyle pitts like that in four years the kid can't even drink yet shoddy he can't drink alcohol mm -hmm. and he can't convince me 
that he's a top three dynasty tight end either. Probably because you're drinking too much of the alcohol. Buzzing. Wow. <laughs> Got he. <laughs> Got he. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Whoa. Got he. Hey, you're just the, the best co-host the guy could ask for. Number seven. Moving on to number seven. No fan. I think no offense, it has the, the biggest opportunity to make a drastic jump in the rankings of all these guys that we've listed so far. I think no offense, if given the help that he needs at the quarterback position, that's all I'll say about that, I think he can be a top three dynasty tight end. That's a big ask. I think he has the talent. I think the opportunity is there. He's young and I mean, look at what he did last year with limited touchdowns. Only three touchdowns in 15 games. 62 catches, 673 yards. Not very far behind TJ Hawkinson's stat line. And we're talking about TJ Hawkinson much more and more affectionately than we talk about Noah Fant. I think that's I think it's misplaced. I think Noah Fant deserves more credit and deserves more hype, especially because his situation is not good. It's I mean, and TJ Hawkinson was, was you know, compiling those stats, catching passes from Matt Stafford. Whereas Noah Fant were catching passes from terrible quarterbacks his whole career. I mean, he's only been in the league. Well, for that's two the years, difference between his them. whole career. That's the difference between the two is the situation. Well, that and the athleticism. I mean, T.J. Hawkinson is no slouch, but Noah Fant is 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 you know definitely more athletic than T.J. Hawkinson, and we know how predictive that is for tight ends. And we've been saying that ever since their class came out a couple years ago. Everyone knew these were the top two, and that Fant was probably going to, in the long run, be a better fantasy asset, but Hawkinson was probably going to be the better NFL tight end. So if it takes a quarterback going to Denver for that to all come true, I'm not that confident. That being said, everything about Noah Fant I love. You love to have him as a player. Great athleticism. I talked about it earlier. Kyle Pitts, best comparative player in the NFL, is Noah Fant, and everyone's raving about Kyle Pitts right now, myself included. So if the situation changes, which it frequently does, then Noah Fant's value is most likely going up. I really can't think of many places in the NFL where Noah Fant could end up where his situation would be worse. Not that he's going anywhere, just if he was in one of those situations – Mm-hmm. What's worse than what you got in Denver right now, where you got a crowded receiver room, where you got three quality receivers ahead of you, including Judy, even though he can't catch the pass, he's still going to be targeted with them for whatever reason. Jesus. And so you're probably the third option on your team's passing game, and that's just not going to get it done. Every single one of the other tight ends we've talked about up till now has either been the number one or maybe high-end two number uh, option on their team. Kittle, number one on his team. Kelsey's going to get the most targets. Pitts is going to have to play behind Calvin Ridley for the short term, term, but really no one else in that passing game is taking any work. Waller, we talked about his volume that he's getting. Mark Andrews has been first or second on the team in targets for the last two years. And then TJ Hawkinson, we talked about, has a barren receiver room next to him. Noah Fant is the first guy we're going to talk about who has all the talent to be one of these high-end, tight-end ones, but his situation just isn't going to allow it. Yeah, I mean, I think his team is built, the roster in Denver is built very well. They're going to be very competitive this year. His, his touchdown opportunities are probably going to be higher than they were before. Um, and we know a guy of his size and athleticism is a threat in the red zone, as he is all over the field. Um, but he, I think, is not being talked about enough. And I think that's why I, I wanted to bring him up as, as strongly as I did. 
And I'm willing to buy him, especially right now where I think that uh, he's just kind of being forgotten about. It's funny I'm saying I want to buy him, but I sold him uh, about halfway through last yeah. year. <laughs> who, who do you hope wins that quarterback battle? Who do you think will be better for fans? Because I know in my head who it is. I want Drew Locke. Okay. Well, we can agree on that. You, you would think without ever having watched him play that a quarterback who consistently checks down and makes the safe play every time like Bridgewater would be good for the tight end. But I can't think... I think you have to go back to the early 2010s when Rudolph was young was the only time that Teddy Bridgewater has had a fantasy friendly tight end. Cause he wasn't doing it last year with Ian Thomas. He didn't do it while he got his starts in new Orleans. Like he's just not good for tight ends. And if he wins that job, I think you're going to see a lot of Hamler and uh, Judy with these checkdowns and then Sutton stealing all the touchdowns in the red zone end zone. So yeah, I'm with you. I want Drew Locke to win that job, but at the end of the day, neither one of these guys are going to be very good for Fant. Teddy Bridgewater sucks the fun out of everything. He's so he boring does. to watch in real football. He he brings he was exciting to the table in fantasy ten years football. ago. Ugh. Do you remember him? Where where did he go? Louisville, I think. Yeah, I mean, he had that terrible injury that almost lost his leg. Oh yeah, a couple years into his career, but like there was so much excitement. I remember around him whenever he first came into the league. Like we get one of these quarterbacks every year now. These mobile passers who are not Lamar Jackson every year, but the same style of player like the him and the Kyler Murray. Teddy Bridgewater was that guy before those guys. Obviously he didn't run the ball so much, but yeah, you're right. Just as far as excitement fell off the face of the earth. It just sucks the fun out of the game. Number eight. All right, number eight. I want you to, to, to take us off on Dallas Goddard because I'm kind of iffy about Dallas Goddard. I don't know how to value him. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, try to convince me one way or another. Uh, I don't know if I'm your guy here. <laughs> I'm sort of on the <laughs> fence as well. He's uh, he's in this tier somewhere in between tier two and tier three, where if I got him, I, I might be shopping him uh, the second Zach Ertz gets moved because his value, it's going to bump a little bit, I think. I don't think it's going to get a big spike because everyone's expecting the Ertz move whenever it happens. It's, so I don't think you're getting him at a discount. But Nick Sirianni obviously coming in is a Frank Reich disciple. He was with him in Indy. So I expect him to continue to run that same offense that we've been seeing, which is where the tight ends share the field. You've been seeing it with Goddard and Ertz the last few years. And uh, is it going to be Richard Rogers? Or are they going to bring in somebody else to be that number two tight end? Or what was old your nickname? Dick for Rod. There you go. Old Dick Rod. <laughs> old is Dick it going to be old Dick Rod? Or is it going to be another tight end a year from now? But either way, I think there's going to be another tight end stealing snaps. The way that Philly's been running it with their tight ends in 2019, Goddard had a 51% snap share. Ertz was getting 62% of the snaps. Last year, you saw their numbers come a little bit closer where Goddard got up to 55%, but Ertz went down to 58%. But you don't see these tight ends running 80, 90% snap shares under the Frank Reich slash Nick Sirianni offense. So I think that's going to continue with Philadelphia where Goddard may be that lead guy and now he's been in the league, what, four or five years at this point? He's 26 years old, and we're still waiting on that real breakout that we were kind of expecting whenever he was drafted. Obviously, Ertz was there the whole time, so we knew he was going to have to play that backup role until Ertz left town. But after seeing how ineffective Ertz was last year and to still see him out-snap Dallas Goddard and play that tight end one rule, I don't know how confident that coaching staff was in him. And I don't know how Nick Sirianni is going to see him when he's in the building either. So <laughs> sort of a long way of saying I agree with you. I don't really know what to think. 
uh, I think the optimistic owner, the optimistic owner that had him a couple years ago, thought, okay, Ertz gets out the door. This guy's my slam dunk top three tight end, the same way Zach Ertz was. I don't think that's in the realm of possibilities anymore. I think it is possible that we see a little bit of a breakout and he does move up in these rankings, being 26. But I, I don't know that he's a tight end that I'm ever going to be content with. At the most, I think he's just going to be startable. I think that's a ceiling now. The good news is his floor is probably the same. <laughs> Low-end starter, someone I'm okay yeah. with just kind of filling the position. He's a guy that in, in dynasty drafts, if you want to wait on tight end but still have a guy you think you can rely on and be confident in, I think Dallas Goddard's your guy. I got one more guy ranked a little bit lower that I would I think I'd rather wait the extra round or two and take the shot on. Remind me when we get to him. Dallas Goddard... I think the Eagles look at him as a low-volume target. I don't think they want to run their offense through him like they did with with Zach Ertz. Um, he's a great possession receiver. He's got good hands, but he's been injured quite often. I mean, I don't think he – no, he has not played a full season uh, since coming to the league, and, and it's not like a one or two games here and there. I mean, he's missed a, a big chunk of each season of his career, um, and that's scary uh, as a fantasy owner, but it's also scary for the Eagles. You know, how would you – want to run your offense through him, give him a ton of volume, knowing that he's been pretty fragile since coming into the league. And, and uh, I think that's also true when he was in college. He was quite a few games coming out of South Dakota State. So I think he's one of the more talented tight ends you'll see on this list, uh, just based on his size, uh, adjusted athleticism. But putting that into play on the field has lended itself to quite a few injuries and some unreliable usage from the Eagles. So with Zacherts out of the way, volume will increase. Uh, can he stay healthy? Can that offense still succeed? Um, you know, without the typical targets there of Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Miles um, Sanders being uh, at, as bad of a pass catcher as he's shown to be here in recent recent years. So, a lot of questions around the Eagles in general, and that's all following Dallas Goddard into these rankings. And it's hard for me to get excited about him. Like I said, he's a, he's a fairly safe guy to draft. Um, you know he's got talent. He'll have some opportunity. And uh, number eight, I think, is a, kind of a sweet spot for him. Almost the perfect spot. Yeah, just to put it into context, sort of the year he had last year, like you said, he missed five games. He only played 11 games, and a lot of those are partial games, like you said. He had 46 catches, 524 yards, and three touchdowns. So you stat that out for a full 16-game pace, he would end up with 66, 7, 62, and 4. Not really that impressive by the sound of it, but it would have been good enough to finish as a mid-range tight end. Overall, as the tight end seven is where that would have put him last year. We got him at the tight end eight. And I think this guy, we talked about, uh, or a lot of people talked about several years ago, the Dalton scale for quarterbacks, where if you're better than Andy Dalton, you're a good NFL quarterback. If you're worse, you're a bad NFL quarterback. <laughs> How many more seasons before we start have to start talking about the Goddard scale, where if you're better than Goddard, you're a good tight end. But if you're worse yeah. than Goddard, nah. I mean, that's a good way to put it, dude. Imagine being Andy Dalton and just getting shit on as much as he does. Holy that poor shit. guy does not deserve all the hate he gets. My oh, God. My and he got so much worse this year, too. The yeah, Red Rocket he, is he one of like the most second-round quarterback. Like, if you get, he had a great career. Yeah, if you get out of him, if you get out of a second-round quarterback, which you got out of him, that's a fantastic player. Like, that's he a was great solid. asset. Yeah. He went to a shit organization. That's not his fault. And he played for a shit organization. Then he got traded to another shit organization. <laughs> or he picked up on another shit. He saw shit. Uh, who was that, who's that kid's name that was on like the first meme 
Uh, it was always his face. Bad luck, it's Brian. Like, yeah, he's <laughs> bad, like, bad, bad luck, Brian. Bad luck, Brian. Poor guy. Oh, man. <laughs> Hope his team goes 0-17. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he starts, they might. Number nine. All right, number nine. We have Mike Gusecki. I'm the lowest on Mike Gusecki, which is kind of surprising because I loved him coming out of Penn State. Um, he had a fairly good season, 53 for 703 and six touchdowns. He's only 25. I uh, was the tight end seven last year, but similar to Dallas Goddard, I'm not sure how excited you can get about him, but for different reasons. With, for Mike Gusecki, I'm more worried about the target competition coming in being vastly better and more effective than him and uh, being more of efficient targets. And Tua, you know, gravitating towards guys he's played with, like Jalen Waddle, and uh, utilizing Will Fuller as the deep threat that he is, and and getting more confident using Devonte Parker as more of a jump ball guy. You know, where does that leave Mike Gesicki? You know, maybe it leaves him as your middle of the field short area target, uh, but I don't know if that lends itself to to fantasy success in the long term, let alone in 2021. Also, they brought in Hunter Long. I think I've already mentioned it quite a few times on this podcast that. I'm a big Hunter Long guy. I liked him coming out of college, out of BC. And uh, he's more of a complete tight end. Mike Gusecki can't block very well. So you bring in a complete tight end, and he's going to start losing snaps to him, I think. I mean, it, it, it makes it makes sense that if, if a guy's a better run blocker but can also catch, that he makes your offense more effective and more multiple than a Mike Gusecki would. So I, I can see him losing just general snap count in 2021. I could see him losing a lot of targets in 2021, or at least his target share dropping. And uh, all that lends itself to have, for, for me having him at 11. Um, and I know I'm a few spots behind you, Kyle. So he's the guy that I was alluding to earlier who I'd rather wait a little bit longer on and take my shot with. If you're a Tua believer, I think that Mike Kosicki should be playing a part in your assessment because he had a good season last year with 53 catches, 700 yards, and six touchdowns, like you said. But his pace with Tua as the starter was even better than that. He was on pace for 62 catches, 750 yards, and seven touchdowns. He would have finished as the tight end three in fantasy. Let me try that again. He would have finished as the tight end three in fantasy if he kept that pace. So if Tua takes that step forward, which there's a lot of people in that camp who thinks Tua is going to be taking that step this year, you're hoping the offense as a whole will get better because obviously you bring in Jalen Waddle with the early pick, you bring in Will Fuller in free agency, and suddenly there's all the weapons of a high-powered offense. The question is, is the quarterback going to put it together? So if we see Tua take that next step and he becomes less of that tank for Tua guy we knew in Alabama and more of a steady passer who can support two or three different fantasy assets, I think Mike Gesicki is going to be one of them. It doesn't take a lot to get into that top echelon uh, or that top half of tight ends. As far as Gesicki goes, like I said, all it takes is maintaining that pace he had with Tua over the whole season, and it makes him a top three. Granted, everyone's healthy. That's probably somewhere around tight end four, tight end five, tight end. But right now, Mike Gesicki is not free, but he's definitely the cheapest of all the guys we've talked about right now. I think any of the tight ends we've talked about before, you could trade for him straight up if you like him more. Personally, I think I'd rather have him than Dallas Goddard. It just sort of depends on the makeup of my team. But we talked about earlier, 
Uh, what would it take for me to get rid of Mark Andrews? I would love if I'm a Mark Andrews owner and I wanted to get rid of him to find the team that has that Mike Gesicki and trade him for Mike Gesicki plus. See if I can get a couple third round picks and Mike Gesicki for Mark Andrews or maybe a rotational flex player with Gesicki along with that for Andrews. I'm fine with him in my tight end spot. And if he does have that breakout this year in 2021, he's going to cost a hell of a lot more than this year for me. <laughs> Give me your best guess percentage chance that, you know, he's still in Miami after this contract year. Ooh. Uh, well, Miami has enough cap space that they can really hold on to whoever they want unless they just start really spending like crazy. But I'm not confident that if the team as a whole doesn't take the step forward that this coaching staff or front office is necessarily a shoe-in to be here in a couple of years. So I don't want to put Mike Gesicki's future in that camp. I, I think we could see a lot of turnover. I think the front office is probably more willing to part with a Mike Flores right now than they are with, say, a Tua Tungavailoa or maybe some of the other players on that team. So I'd say if, if, if it's a few years from now, Miami still has the space, I'd say it's 75% chance Gesicki earns a second contract. Yeah, I mean, Flores, you know, being the defensive head coach that he is, um, I think that you'd probably be more likely to see the OC get canned over and over again like you do, like you see at these other defensive head coach-led teams, like a Mike Zimmer-led team or, uh, you know, typical high-caliber defensive head coaches see kind of a rotation at the offensive coordinator position, whether it be, you know, from them getting poached for a head coaching opportunity elsewhere or from them getting fired. Or them just trying to save their own jobs, yeah. Or they're not running the ball enough. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know <laughs> if Mike Gusecki, love it. Yeah, I don't know if, if uh, Gusecki is long for Miami and if he doesn't succeed there, how much money is he going to get paid to be, you know, somebody's tight end two elsewhere? Well, um, someone's going to bring honestly, him in. I don't think it's as a tight end two. You don't think he's a top 32 tight end in this league? I think he is talent wise, but how the NFL looks at him as that almost non-factor in the running game might not be, you know, they might not want to invest in him the way you invest in a tight end one. Um, honestly, dream scenario, and this just clicked in my head. I don't know why. It's, chances of this happening very slim. But imagine him, you know, contract year, uh, Miami doesn't want to sign him, and he signs with Kansas City as, like, the heir apparent to Travis Kelsey. Like, he plays second fiddle to Travis Kelsey for a year, and then Mike Isecki comes in, attached to Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, trying to put up, 80% of the production that Travis Kelsey puts up, I, that would be a dream scenario. I think that'd be nope, awesome. I don't like it. They already have the heir apparent in place, Noah Gray. You haven't been hearing the off-season buzz around Noah Gray? We don't talk about it in our news segments. That's what not a real beat person. beat writers speculate <laughs> over other Noah players. Noah Gray right? does not Speculation exist, is too. not news, so you don't hear us talk about it. But Noah Gray has been getting a lot of talk. He was uh, what fifth-round pick, I think. So not huge so. draft capital, but taken early on day three. And apparently Kelsey said he just hit the ground running. Kelsey's been talking him up. The OC, Andy Reid, they've all been going out of their way to talk about him. So let's keep Kasicki out so that my Noah Gray or Noah, uh, shoot, I can't even remember his name anymore. Yeah, Noah, Noah Gray. Gray. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep my Noah Gray stock intact. Yeah, you must really love him. Can't even remember his name, Noah Gray. <laughs> Sorry, Noah. Number 10. All right, number 10. This is starting to get ugly now. This is where tight ends oh, yeah. really start Huge to get Huge tear break here. All right. So we have Hunter Henry. 
Hunter Henry has been my guy at the tight end position in fantasy for years. I drafted him in our league of record in the startup draft. I was so excited. I thought he's a lock to be, you know, a top five tight end for me all those years ago. And now I look at him as a, uh, you know, what, like, what am I going to get out of him in, in yeah. New England? I don't, I don't, I don't know if he can get half of the production he got last year in New England. I, I'm really, he could be completely useless in 2021 and it would not surprise me he's very scary to own because nobody wants to buy him so if i wanted to sell him i would get pennies on the dollar and what happens if you know he doesn't show out 2021 then he's just sitting on my bench and i can't get rid of him because he is very talented and he got a contract uh i just he's one of those players that great talent bad situation it's almost impossible to predict the upside to hit so he's ranked at 10 by all of us. He's ranked at 10 in our dynasty rankings. Could you see him, you know, jumping up the rankings much at all? No, it hurts to say that. It's, I think this is going to be one of my lessons learned when we talk about that later in the offseason is don't put as much stock on someone's rookie season as I think everyone did on Hunter Henry. He came out, he with that was the last season in San Diego. And he played 15 games and scored eight touchdowns. And everyone was looking at him like, oh, he's, he's solid. He's the next Antonio Gates. He's the heir apparent. He's a touchdown machine. He's obviously he's played 15 games, so he's at least somewhat durable. And just none of those things have been true. His highest tight end or his highest touchdown total in a season since that has been five. And he's never played a full season to this point in his career. If you want to break down the games that he has played and put it on a 16-game pace, it's solid. But it's not really even that impressive. It'd be 57 catches, 675 yards, and six touchdowns. That's okay. I mean, that's that's doing enough. But That's cute. It's cute. The, the <laughs> thing that's going on right now, though, is if you want to completely punt the tight end position in a startup draft, or maybe it's just a hole that you had, you lost a tight end in the offseason, whatever, and you really just need to get someone to fill your roster, I think Hunter Henry could be a solid target. Right now, there seems to be a perception in New England that Hunter Henry, since he was the second one to sign, is going to be playing behind Jonu Smith in New England. I'm not 100% that's true. And I don't want to say, oh yeah, for sure, this is Hunter Henry's job to lose Jonu Smith's trash. Although I will be saying that when we get to Jonu Smith. But Hunter Henry himself, (laughs) I think, is just a better tight end than Jonu Smith. So he has a chance to go out there and win the job. They got signed to virtually the same contract. Johnny Smith got four years, $50 million with 31.25 guaranteed. Hunter Henry got three years, 37.5 with 25 mil guaranteed. So one fewer year, a little less guaranteed money, but both of them are making 12.5 mil a year. Lucky them, I guess. So I don't think the contracts really tell us anything about who New England views as a starter. I think they've both got the opportunity, and I am not a John U. Smith guy. So because of that, although his situation, yeah, it's not great, you're going to be competing with someone for the foreseeable future, at least the next three years, it could be worse. And if he ends up winning that starting job and Mac Jones comes comes uh, takes the job at some point from Cam and becomes a much better passer, obviously, than we could expect out of Cam at this point in his career, then... I think Henry is a guy that I'm fine with buying now at a really low price. I think a third and a role player probably gets it done. I don't think I'd go as high as to pay a second for him. If you're the Henry owner, you probably don't want to take that if you've had him for any sort of time. But if you really just need to fill the position with someone, Henry's one of those guys that gets it done for me. We're only at 
our 10th ranked player and we're talking about if you just need a guy to fill that <laughs> spot for you. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about Hunter Henry. It's funny, you look at the contracts between Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, and Johnny Smith is one year younger than Hunter Henry, and he basically got the exact same deal with one extra year on the deal. So they, they, they sat them both down. They said, look, yeah. guys, we're going to pay you the exact same amount. But you're one year younger, so you get one year extra on your contract and a little bit of extra guaranteed money. And they were both like, fuck it, yeah, sounds great. Let's uh, I remember let's when it happened. Contracts. I remember uh, day one of free agency. I was actually getting my first COVID shot, and I had to hang out for like 15 minutes after to make sure I didn't die or anything. And I was just scrolling Twitter and – Hunter Henry actually went on the record as saying, like, as soon as John New Smith was signed, I, th- I thought New England was out on me because they were approaching me, they were talking to me, and I thought a deal was going to get done. Next thing you know, the John New Smith signing comes out. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess they're done. Then they contact Hunter Henry, like, no, no, we still want you. Come on in. And so he signed his deal. I, I think there's a chance there, though. Uh, anyone else that we're going to be talking about is a dart throw. I think Henry's as good a dart throw as any. It, it, there's a lot of upside. If he wins the job, if Mac Jones is good, and that's a lot of ifs, and that's why we have him at number 10. But I think his upside is still any given season he could finish as that mid-range tight end one. Yeah, I mean, you got to think they have a plan for him. You know, you, you don't sign another tight end and give him as much money as you do after already signing one. And it's, it's the other way around. Some, some people might look at it and say, oh, they already had Johnny Smith there. But when you have a team and they address a position in free agency – and then they draft the same position in the rookie draft a month later, it tells you that they needed the position, but the rookie is their plan for the future. Whoever comes in first usually is a team just saying, we've got to have someone here. But it's the second guy that comes in, or one of the last guys that comes in, that even with this new guy in place, this is the guy we actually want. That's the way I'm looking at it anyway. If my team... Spends in free agency, and my team spends in the draft. I'd much rather have whoever that draft pick is because they're the guy that came later, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I can see it, but I think that's enough time on Hunter Henry. Number 11. Our 11th ranked tight end is Robert Tanyan, your boy, Robert Tanyan. Tanyan. Tanyan, Tanyan. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives this Whatever. He's 27 years old. (laughs) He's <laughs> 27 years old, finishes the tight end three in 2020. Nobody saw that coming. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, he was tied first for most touchdowns by a tight end last year, uh, which anytime you mention in the same breath as, as uh, Travis Kelsey, then uh, <laughs> you better count your stars, you know, count your blessings. Do we think Robert Tanyan can recreate some semblance of what he had last year? Because you look at the catches in the yards – and they're modest, right? 52 catches, 586 yards. But where he really blew up was the touchdowns. And, you know, people look at Devontae Adams as a huge touchdown scorer. And when Aaron Rodgers is hot, uh, Devontae Adams, um, not only Devontae Adams gets those touchdowns, but, you know, we see Robert Tynion be a big, big benefit of that. So, uh, you know, in a season when Aaron Rodgers probably doesn't win back-to-back MVPs, you know, what do we think Robert Tynion is going to produce here in 2020? So I don't think anyone's predicting him to finish as a top three tight end again. It's The situation is very up in the air. Obviously, what, it, the Rodgers stuff is whatever. But whether or not he's a Packer this year, he's probably not going to be a couple years from now. And if he is, he's probably not playing at the same level. Now, there's a chance I'm wrong, and he pulls a Brady on all of us, and he's this guy for forever. But you also don't know what his competition for targets is going to be like. Because he wasn't even the number two on his team for targets last year. He actually came in third. 
And that tight end room is also very crowded. You have the elder statesman and Mercedes Lewis, but you also have uh, Jay Sternberger and Justin DeGuyra, however you say that last name, really hard to say. But both of those guys were day two picks. They have much more draft capital invested in them than Robert Tunyon, who was just just sort of the incumbent when this coaching staff came in. Also, if this team does eventually spend up to get a high-caliber uh, number two receiver with Devontae, or maybe Amari Rogers turns into that guy, I think you're going to see a lot of that come at the expense of Robert Tunyon. His his touchdown efficiency was unsustainable last year. There's no question of that. Of his 16 games he played, he scored a touchdown in nine of them. That's outstanding for a tight end. You, most tight end weeks are made or broken based on whether or not they scored, which means Tunyon, who was a waiver wire ad, was more than not a good play for you at tight end. But even if he just comes back to earth next year and scores the league average for a tight end one, tight ends one to 12 on average score about seven touchdowns. Tunyon had 11. If his total comes down to that, he now falls all the way to the tight end eight just on that stat alone. Also, his catch rate last season, 89.6%. That is the third highest in the NFL since 2013. That's an unsustainable catch rate and an unsustainable touchdown rate. If either one of these things regress, and especially the touchdowns, you're going to see Tunyon come falling back down to earth hard. I, I don't think we're talking about them. Here in a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about the guys we could see in the top 12 next year. I don't think Tunyon's going to be one of those guys. So even though he's in the top 12 this year, because he is in an okay situation now, really a good situation right now, I don't think he's that talented, and I don't think the situation stays the same. Yeah, I mean, regression potential screams sell, and especially when... Uh... You know, he plays for a high-profile team like the Packers, who made it to the NFC Championship game with the MVP uh, of the league thrown on the ball. I mean, if Rodgers does come back, and that's how I'm, you know, running my pro- projections and how I'm how I'm looking at players for for Green Bay, then I think right when we find out that it's confirmed, Aaron Rodgers coming back, try to sell Robert Tanya because somebody's going to be like, hell yeah, Rodgers is back, Robert Tanya. Top six tight end, lock it in. And that's the guy you want to send over Robert Tanya to and get a second-round pick or uh, get a player that can start for you in your flex, you know, week one, something like that. Um, yeah, I'd, but, I'd much rather yeah, have a- Hunter Henry like we just talked about or these guys that we're going to be talking about after we get outside our top 12. I'd much rather be attacking one of those spots than holding on to Tanya. If, if I'm in win-now mode and maybe I have one of these younger guys – if I have an Adam Troutman or a Cole Komet, maybe I sit on Robert Tunyon for a year and see if he can repeat while these guys uh, sort of make their way through the ranks in their own situations. But if he's the only guy I have, I think I'm trying to get out now. I, I don't think, even though his value is not crazy high, a lot of people have caught up, especially with his ADP, that he's probably going to negatively regress. I still think you should be getting out of that situation sooner than later. Gotcha. Number 12. Number 12. John New Smith, we mentioned him here briefly when we were talking about Hunter Henry. So I think we can be pretty quick on John New Smith. Uh, I'll be honest, I put John New Smith right next to Hunter Henry in the rankings because it was just me putting my towel between my legs and, and cowering away. I don't know where to rank him. Uh, what I love about John New Smith is his athletic measurables and his potential uh, being as big, fast, and strong as he is at that position. Uh, which I mentioned earlier, is, is, is usually pretty predictive. Uh, that and the investment from a team that I think is smarter than people are giving them credit for, although they had some questionable moves this offseason. John Smith could be the beneficiary. He could you know, he could have double-digit touchdowns this year, and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, he's a great red zone threat. I think he was top 10 in the league in red zone targets last year. 
Um, he ended up, you know, cashing in on quite a few of those with eight touchdowns when it was all said and done in 2020. So I know Kyle's not a big fan and, you know, he's never finished as a tight end one, but this late at the tight end, uh, in the tight end market, I think, uh, he's definitely worth the 12th highest pick. Um, if you want a guy who you think can score a lot of touchdowns and, uh, you know, be productive for you for at least 2021. Yeah, everything I have in the show sheet, now that I look at it, it's all negative. I don't know why I hate Johnny Smith as much as I do. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like it was just a year or two ago that Delaney Walker left the league and Johnny Smith, yeah. we, everyone knew he was getting the job. That was all the way back in 2018. So it's been three seasons now since Johnny Smith took over as the starter. His tight end finishes in those three years, tight end 33, tight end 20, tight end 16. The tight end landscape is bad on its own. So if you're finishing as a tight end two, you really have no business in any one starting lineup. So I, I'm I'm not a fan of him. Maybe he takes that step forward in New England, but the path is hairy. In his three seasons, path is hairy. What does that even mean? Path is it's rough. It's a hairy it's, path. He's got, he's got hairy path <laughs> on his way. But the best season he had of his career was last year, and it was not an impressive season. <laughs> it was not an impressive season. 41 catches, 448 yards. Much like we just talked about Robert Tunyon, he was floated by his touchdowns in which he scored eight. So... Now we go from Tennessee, who's probably the top 10 offense in the league last year, or the last couple years, I would say. And you go to New England, who had one of the worst offensive seasons in the NFL last year. Cam Newton threw for eight touchdowns last year. That's how many Jonu Smith had through the air. Cam Newton threw for eight. And yeah, I know he's not a shoe in to hold that job all season. But if I have to put my faith on eight touchdown pass Cam Newton or rookie Mac Jones to lead a high-power offense, which is what I think it takes for John U. Smith to be fantasy-relevant, then I'm, I'm just not about it. 60 career games now he's played in the NFL. Of those 60 games, just twice has he scored 20 or more PPR fantasy points. 3% of the time has he done that. It, it takes multi-touchdown games for him to be a viable fantasy asset, and he's not going to get many of those in New England. Maybe in a couple years, Mac Jones is amazing, and he's leading a great offense and throwing for 40 touchdowns, and Johnny Smith is fantasy relevant, but I'm not betting on that. Well, fingers crossed you're right so that my fantasy team benefits and uh... – you can look like the guy who said, I told you so, Johnny Smith sucks balls. Well, it's weird. A lot of what I say about Johnny Smith can also be attributed to Hunter Henry as far as the situation. The difference is we've seen Hunter Henry be good. Like, we haven't seen it for a full season, but we've seen spurts out of Hunter Henry where he's been a solid tight end one. We've never seen that from Johnny Smith. It was expected for all those years sitting behind Delaney Walker thinking, oh, there's Johnny Smith. He's so athletic. He's going to be the next guy. Never came to fruition. He had three different years of opportunities to do it, so I'm not betting on it moving forward. Well, that's it for our tight end rankings. We hit our top 12. You want to recap it for me? Sure. Top 12 tight ends. At number one consensus, we had George Kittle. Number two, we had Travis Kelsey. Three, Kyle Pitts. Suck it, shoddy. Number four, Delaney Walker. Five, Mark Andrews. Number six, TJ Hawkinson. Seven, Noah Fant. Eight, Dallas Goddard. Nine, Mike Gesicki. Number 10, Hunter Henry. 11, Robert Tunyon. And number 12, Jonu Smith. I mean... I'm confident that those are going to be 100% correct by, by year's end. I, no problem there. I would, I'm really confident in number one through nine. Absolutely. I think the position may change one or two for any given one of them, but I think number one through nine is pretty set in stone. It's a huge tear break after that. And we might have some surprises. Who knows? The tight end position, and it just has been for a couple years now, is 
just so boring when you get out of that first tier. You just don't you don't see those guys emerge out of nowhere like you see at every other position every other year. People have been predicting that tight end renaissance, I feel like, for four or five years now, saying here comes the influx, going back to the uh, O.J. Howard, David Njoku, Evan Ingram draft class. Notice we didn't name a single one of those names in our top 12. So, <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I mean, uh, that has to be some of the biggest disappointment in, in draft history in terms of fantasy. Uh, you know, in a fantasy angle, you know, having three tight ends that people thought were going to be, you know, top five guys in, in a year or two in fantasy, and they all flopped. So I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not right. completely well, out on all those guys, though. I, I, <sighs> I, I'm perfectly okay it's, it's with sending to a be third in round on those pick. guys. <laughs> OJ Howard was injured last year. He's the guy who I'd put most of my eggs in that basket. Evan Ingram led his team in targets last year. Like, there's positive things to be said about these guys. I don't think they're all complete busts dead in the water, but obviously none of them have lived up to the expectations from a few years ago. David Joker has been trying to get traded for two years. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Ingram, not going to happen. <laughs> Evan Ingram's hands have gotten worse as he's aged in the NFL. And O.J. Howard has been almost a it, – it's just like clockwork every offseason. Oh, O.J. Howard looks great. He's you know big, bigger, faster, stronger. His blocking's getting better. And he just does nothing. So I'm out on him. I mean, maybe you could throw a uh, a little like fifth, fourth round pick offer to somebody if you're still in on fifth? him. But jeez, man, I, I, I don't I'd see, give up a third for OJ Howard. It. If I didn't have OJ Howard, I'd give up a third for him. He's still only 26 huh? years old. Rob Gronkowski's getting older. Uh, who's the other guy that he's been splitting with for 30 years? He's gone. Cam Brait. Yeah, Cameron Brait. So. Now, there's a chance he takes that lead role, and with Tom Brady as your quarterback, would you be would you be completely shocked if OJ Howard scored ten touchdowns this year? No, but I mean, he would do it with like three hundred yards. I think he'd get more than that. So as boring as tight ends are, it's you know there's some young guys floating around the league that there's that the hype is building on, and me and Kyle each have one tight end that we think is going to be know. a future top twelve tight end, and uh, in my opinion. I'm, you know, by the time the season starts, I, I can't imagine he's going to be out of my top 12 wide receivers. So I'll bet he's in your top 12 tight ends. I highly doubt he's in your top 12 wide receivers. Top 12. Yeah. Adam Troutman. He's going to be a top 12 tight end for me, at least before the season starts. I think it's almost just a matter of time. Um, and I'm about to fire him up and get him into my top 12. And I'll tell you why. Adam Troutman, small school kid who dominated with great athleticism. For his size, it's 6'5", 255, big kid. He, the Saints traded up to get him in the draft, uh, and, and it was a draft where they lacked a ton of draft capital, but they were prepping for a Super Bowl run and trying to maximize their window uh, with an aging Drew Reese. So I think that, that says something about how they think about him. And he also won as a pass catcher and a blocker in college, so his snap count shouldn't be affected by game situation or uh, – specified role or limiting him in any way. I think he's a complete tight end who's just young and needs to develop te- or develop uh, you know an overall preparation for NFL style uh, play and when he does so I think he's going to be a fantastic player and I think you know last year he only had 15 catches on 16 targets of 171 yards and one touchdown. Pretty quiet rookie year. Um, but, you know, as I said about eight times in this episode, rookies don't really fire early. So that's that's not crazy. I don't want you that to shy you away from it. There's been 152 targets vacated from the offense just from Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook. 
and uh, 70 of those were from Jared Cook. So I'm not saying you could take all 70 and immediately give them to Adam Troutman, but they also let Josh Hill walk, who is a depth tight end for them, and it seems like he's the locked and loaded tight end one in that offense. And uh, depending on who is the quarterback there, I think you're going to see different types of production, whether it be red zone targets from a guy like Taysom Hill or downfield targets from a guy like James Winston. Uh, I think either way, he, I think he's locked. He's going to be a lock for for 70, tar- 70 plus targets in a Saints offense where they only really have one um, or two if you count uh, Alvin Kamara of you know reliable targets in the passing game between Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. So I think he's he's going to be a top 12 tight end for me by the time the season starts. And the sky's the limit for this guy. I, I don't think he has any anything uh, limiting his profile going into 2021 other than he's only a second-year player and his, his quarterback situation isn't exactly great. And if those are the two things that hold him back in 2021, come 2022, he's definitely going to be a top 12 tight end for us. Yeah, it's really unique what's happening in New Orleans, you're seeing almost the entire offense get discounted. You're seeing Alvin Kamara go in the middle of the first round as opposed to the top of the first round where he usually goes. You're seeing Michael Thomas be drafted as late as the third round in some drafts, who has been a shoe in the last three years for a top two or three wide receiver off the board. And people have all been given up on Traquan Smith. You can get him for a bag of peanuts right now. But there seems to be this consensus growing around Adam Troutman that he's this sleeper tight end and he's going to have a a breakout season, or at least a much better season. And I'm not going to say I disagree with it, but as popular as it is, the only thing that really backs it up is the fact that Jared Cook is obviously gone in the tight end situation, or the, the tight end position is open, the tight end one position. So as far as the quarterback play, there's probably 25 to 30 other situations that you'd rather have of someone throwing him the football, but whether it's Taysom Hill or whether it's Jameis Winston. And he's one of the only players on the offense who I'd rather have Taysom Hill throwing the football to because if Jameis Winston's throwing the football, he's a very similar type player to Taysom Hill. So in Sean Payton's offense, we might see Taysom Hill stealing targets from Adam Troutman, stealing red zone work from Adam Troutman. So while everyone else on the offense, I think, benefits from having Jameis under center, I think Troutman is the guy who's probably pushing for Taysom under center just so he's not stealing targets from him. All that being said, I, I completely agree with the fact that he's probably top 12 next year. All it takes is some semblance of a breakout. We see those 70-plus targets like you were talking about, four or 500 yards, and he's on his way. I think we're talking about him in the tight end one conversation next year. I'm glad you came around. You're throwing a lot of negatives out there. I was getting. Yeah, I got to be negative. It's been nothing about but roses about the kid all off season. Everyone's talking about Troutman yeah. as their deep sleeper. Like someone's got to say something bad about him. Are you targeting him at all, or do you think the hype is too high to to no. buy? Him? Uh, most of the guys that we talked about at the end, the Hunter Henry, uh, Mike Kosicki, even like an Herb Smith, Irv Smith. I'd, I'd much rather have those guys who I can get late in drafts as opposed to even spending one of my very last picks on Adam Troutman. If the breakout happens and I miss it, I'd much rather be that guy than the one. Because how long, how long do you hold him if you pick him up? If you pick him up and the the breakout doesn't happen after one week, he, he scores zero points. After two weeks, he scored three or four points. Like If he's putting out single-digit outputs under five points a game, how many weeks is he eating up a bench spot for you before you finally cut the cord? I don't think that I want that yeah, on my roster. In redraft, in redraft, I'm not. I'm probably staying away. But 
That's the dynasty, obviously, day. you're holding on to him. I mean, put him in your bench yeah. somewhere. But if if I'm having to rely on him to start games, I'm definitely going out and trying to make a move for one of these older guys. Like the guy you just replaced, Jared Cook, I think would be an awesome target. Get a year out of production of him in L.A. and see if Troutman comes along. If Troutman does break out this year, then great, you're set. You don't have to make another move. But that's who I. That's the type of player I'd be going after this year. I don't want to have to rely on Troutman, but I'm happy to have him on my bench. Adam Troutman is my... Second best tight end on my dynasty team. Okay. Rough, rough days ahead for my for my tight end depth chart. You hate the position. You brought this on yourself. Yeah, that's true. So my future top 12 tight end, there's a couple guys I could have went with, Troutman being one of them, but I decided to go with Chicago Bears tight end, Cole Komet. Now, Komet, much like Troutman. Since the, K, the K is silent. It's Cole Met. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So it's Cole Komet. <laughs> and... His rookie season wasn't impressive, much like Adam Trauman. He had 28 catches, 243 yards, and a couple touchdowns, even though he played in all 16 games. So not impressive. You didn't see anything in the stat sheet that was going to blow you away. But when you watch the games, and as a diehard Packers fan, I am required to spend 60 minutes twice a year with my eyeballs glued on the screen while he plays football. This guy's a physical freak. He's one of those, the football purists have to absolutely love this guy because he's very much a put your head down and run a son of a bitch over type football player. And he's got sure hands. He had a 93% catch rate last year, which was fourth in the NFL. Still only 22, won't be 23 until after the season's over. So even though he's going into his second year, he's still the same age as a lot of these guys that we see coming out of college this year. The biggest problem that's holding him up in Chicago, one, you're going to have a quarterback change at some point. When does Dalton hand the reins over? And number two, and perhaps the biggest obstacle, is the fact that the corpse of Jimmy Graham is still in the way there. The good news for him is following the Week 11 bye last year, Jimmy Graham was averaging 31 snaps a game while commence snap rate shot up to 59 snaps a game. So even though Graham played more of that slot receiver, big slot guy for the Chicago Bears, Komet was earning a lot of snaps. So the coaching staff was impressed with him as a football player enough to keep him on the field almost every snap in the second half of the season. Once Graham is gone, his value is going to inherently skyrocket. And it doesn't matter what he does before Graham's gone. His value goes up. And no one's going to be surprised if Jimmy Graham hangs it up after this season or if at least he's done in Chicago. And as soon as that happens, I think you get a full round upgrade for whatever Cole Komet is valued at right now. If you can get a third for him today, you can get a second for him a year from now when Jimmy Graham's out the door. I guarantee it. If he does come through and he does have that breakout, then great. You've got yourself a tight end that you can use. But even if he doesn't, you can put it on the fact that, hey, Jimmy Graham's still the pass catcher there and flip him for something next year. I've been more than vocal the first uh, few months of this show talking about my dislike for Darnell Mooney. And that's because I don't think he's the number two option moving forward in that offense. Obviously, Allen Robinson, the number one with a bullet. But if Cole Komet lives up to what I think he can be, I think he's the number two in that offense. So a few things here. I can't have you comparing anybody to Calvin Johnson and disparaging Donald Mooney in the same episode. <laughs> this is this is going to work out between us. <laughs> okay. That and uh, – I don't know if you mentioned, but you know, Allen Robinson might not be there next year. That's true. He's um, on the tag, yeah. And if yeah, if he's not, I mean, God, how many targets are going to open up in that offense? And uh, I agree with you in terms of his talent. I mean, I think he's talented enough to earn a lot of those targets. So uh, maybe 2021 isn't the best season for him, but 2022 he could be, you know, the lone vet on that uh, that receiving core, uh, especially 
you know, out of the tight end position, um, which would be awesome to see from him. And, you know, he's coming out of tight end U, Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, he's got uh, he's got that pedigree. He's got that X factor. Those Notre Dame tight ends don't fuck around. All right, man. That'll do it. We're done with rankings. Finally done with rankings. Holy shit. No more forever. rankings. <laughs> yeah, these next few episodes are going to be a lot more fun to uh, prepare for and to deliver to you guys. So yes, I hope you're sure. looking forward to it as much as I am. Should we tease the idea now? Yeah, sure. Next week, coming at you, we have some comparisons and we're going to have fun with it. We are naming our MCU, our Marvel Cinematic Universe comparisons to NFL players. We're naming guys in the NFL who are getting cast today. And Stan Lee looks down in appreciation because they perfectly <laughs> embody his creations to a T. And if you want to find out who they are, you got to tune in next week. I mean, if anything correlates to uh, space battle, superpower infused mm-hmm. warfare, mm-hmm. it's fantasy football. Yep. <laughs> so You say time travel. I say 38 yard line. I say running back by committee. <laughs> Yours was way better. <laughs> I named the yard line. What am I talking about? I'm out of here. Figure it out. I don't know, dude. We've been on this call for two hours now. <laughs> you have so much editing to do. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Say goodbye to the people. Oh, already gone. Oh, he's already gone. All right. Hit up our socials, and uh, you'll hear from us again next week. Peace.